0: Hello everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere. My name is Eric Sue. I am your host, and today we are interviewing Spencer Fry, who is the founder of Uncover. Spencer, how are we doing today?
1: Doing very well. It's uh, nice and sunny here in New York today.
0: I can tell. Looks very sunny yeah. in your room. <laughs> cool. So yeah, let's. Why don't we start off by um, you, you know, telling us a little uh, about you know your background on what Uncover is right now?
1: Sure. Um, so my background is. Pretty vast, but I've been doing tech startup stuff for 15 years now. I guess Um, currently I've been working on a new startup called Uncover for the last uh, 10 months. Uncover is just a simple and easy way to offer perks and rewards to employees, and that's basically you know everything Uncover does at this moment. Uh, We're working on some new stuff, but uh, yeah.
0: Cool, great. And are you able to reveal kind of the number of users you guys have and revenue numbers, things like that? Yeah,
1: sure. Um, So I wrote a. Article about this about a month ago. We've been um, we've been out I guess now for about four months. Um, we've done I think now twenty three twenty four thousand dollars in revenue. Um, so we're doing about uh, five to six thousand dollars a month um, across about thirty five companies currently using Uncover. Mm-hmm. So Uncover is B two B, so it's you know it's got a terrible sales cycle. Associated with it, so there's a lot of kind of like 45-minute phone conversations before we can close the customer. But um, we're growing, and kind of excited about the new stuff that we're releasing. So
0: cool, great. So obviously, you know, you you run all these other different businesses, but focusing yep. on Uncover right now. Um, how did you get your first, let's say, hundred users, or are you even at the first hundred yet?
1: So yeah, we're we're well past hundred employees, but um, the, our user is really an employer. Okay. Um, so it tends to be either the CEO or kind of the head of HR, um, whoever kind of handles the purchasing decision. so for smaller companies kind of under fifteen or twenty people, you don't tend to have like an HR representative, so we actually talk directly the CEO mm-hmm. but um, our average company is around forty forty five people mm-hmm. and for those companies, we tend to talk to an HR person so of uh, we so we basically have um, I think last count we had like thirty five thirty six companies. Mm-hmm. Um, just got a new one yesterday. Nice, but uh, yeah. So, and then we have a lot more employees. Got it. <laughs> cool.
0: And I'm guessing, you know, since you guys are just starting up right now, um, is the main way of acquisition? Are you guys just picking up the phone and calling these people?
1: Yeah, I mean, it tends not to be phone until there's kind of been like a warm intro of some sort. Mm-hmm. We're still, you know, we we started working on the product in January. January, we we released it about four or five months later. Um, So, we've only really been around in the market for about four months. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of still working on the product, that's most of our focus. Um, I do a lot of the sales stuff for us though, and and of that, a lot of that does come through the phones. But usually it's first like an email and then like I try to convince someone to jump on a Skype call with me.
0: Smart. So that's a really interesting (laughs) approach, I I mean, using that that kind of um, the referral approach. And you know, Aaron Ross, who was the VP of sales at uh, Salesforce before. Um, he he calls it cold emailing 2.0, which where he tries yeah. to get a referral first. So that sounds like what you're doing, right? You're trying to get yeah, a referral, exactly. then the then actually doing the call.
1: I think um, as our product kind of evolves and gets better, and our messaging gets better, we'll be doing more kind of cold emails, cold cold phone calls, that kind of thing. But right now, it's basically been like, I don't want to bother someone unless they've heard of us, right? At least or. You know, a friend has introduced me to another, you know, startup entrepreneur or something like that. So, right. But yeah, I, I tend to like prefer the warm intros right now, just as our product is still young and you know it's not completely clear what's going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, the warm intros obviously, you know, they're not going to be as um, kind of turned off towards like the cold, heat, right. The cold salespeople calling. Uh, but yeah, no, that that totally makes sense, and conversion rates probably go up as well. Um, yep. <laughs> so I know you're 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 a fan of bootstrapping. Well. as well, well, right? So all three of your companies are bootstrapped?
1: That's correct, yeah. So this is my third, I guess you could call it like real business. I've had a bunch of other little side projects and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, But all three have been bootstrapped. Um, We were actually talking a little bit before the interview about Typefrag and typefrag.com was my first kind of big company and Typefrag, we started that, a partner and I, about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is basically a voice over IP company for computer game players. So yeah, that was the first time I actually really um, started bootstrapping a company.
0: Nice. And why why is it I mean, you know, obviously everyone in the valley, every entrepreneur yes. wants to, you know, get that funding and all that. Which there's nothing wrong with at certain at certain points, certain businesses. But yep. uh why are you such a big fan of bootstrapping?
1: You know, um honestly I think the biggest thing is like I'm almost This isn't entirely true, but I'm a little bit scared about raising like a big, you know, one, two million dollar round and then having to shut the company down 18 months later just because we ran out of funding. Mm -hmm. Um, I prefer to, you know, slowly build the company over the first few years and kind of get the product right, you know, get a decent um, number of customers, make some money before. Exploring the idea of raising money, I think a lot of companies just raise money too quickly, mm-hmm. and then they're kind of you know running against uh, the clock, and and that's not how I like to build a business, to mm-hmm. be honest.
0: Right, slow organic growth is always kind of the yeah. best way for yeah. the long
1: and, term. And you know, you know, some of my happiest days were um, we can talk about Carbonmade a little bit later, but mm-hmm. Carbonmade is a company I started after Typefrag and ran that for about four and a half years, and just you know we were doing you know well over a million dollars a year in revenue, and there's ten of us and you know, no investors, never raised any money. And just the idea that, you know, this is something that we could do for the rest of our lives. And we didn't have to exit the company by IPOing or selling it or something like that. And just having that kind of luxury of having a company that you can run however you want to run it for as long mm-hmm. as you want to run it. So cool. That's so, why I prefer bootstrapping. <laughs>
0: no, I, I like that as well. I think yeah. I, I like slow organic growth. Um, so, no, Typefrag, I mean, obviously you were in your teens when you started this, you were playing Counter-Strike, we, were, yep. we both played Counter-Strike, <laughs> but you came up with this idea. Uh, and so, you know, your background isn't exactly technical, right? I mean, how did you get the the technical chance right. to kind of build that product?
1: So, um, Typefrag was started you know, during the first semester of my sophomore year in college, so mm-hmm. I guess I was, um, I just turned 19,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I was a computer science major, And during my freshman year, but, you know, like, we were learning, like, C++ and not really relevant uh, programming languages for the web. Um, I knew a little bit of HTML and CSS, but um, that was about as far as I kind of went with it. And when I kind of came up with the idea of Typefrag was just, you know, I was playing Counter-Strike a lot um, using kind of different ventrilo services. And they just all seemed either slow or not, um, like, you couldn't kind of customize them. So I came up with the idea. It was like, why don't we just build faster servers and allow like our users to be able to customize it? So I, I hooked up with a friend of mine who I actually met through playing Counter Strike, but also went to my school at the same time. And he was kind of a more advanced programmer than I was, and um, got him on board. And he kind of handled the tech side of things. So we built like a custom control panel, and that was the first time. Um, in the void market for computer game players, where every clan or team or whatever had their own custom control panel where they could change all the settings. So wow. we just yeah we just launched. So we founded it actually in December two thousand three, which is almost ten years from now. And um, we launched I think in March, mm-hmm. um, and it took a entire week before we got our first customer. But mm-hmm. then once we got our first customer, we just started to kind of roll. And by that summer, we were already doing like. I think something like fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollars a month of revenue within like four months.
0: Wow! And this is, this is pretty good college money.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really was. It yeah. actually was the main reason why I kind of dropped out of the computer science major. Was just like I was building a business at the same time as trying to do like the hardest major in college, and mm-hmm. it just wasn't possible to balance the bol- balance both of those.
0: Right, and you had to follow through college because obviously the parents want you to follow through, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> yep, same here. <laughs> um, cool. So Typefrag, I know you, it took you a week to get the first users, um, mm-hmm. I guess ba- going back to the same question I asked you about um, Uncover, how would you get the first 100 users for Typefrag?
1: So I think, <clears throat> so back then I had, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, so you know, at the time like I didn't there was no there were no articles to go out and read, you know, there was no like helpful podcasts or videos or whatever. So it was kind of just you had to do whatever you could to get users. And um I was kind of heavily into IRC at the time and all the best um I guess, so Counter Strike has like professional gaming was just starting back then then and they had a lot of different teams that played games. So they all had their own IRC channel, and that was kind of where they would interact with their fans. And in all the IRC channels, they had uh, this bot, and the bot would, um, I guess, the equivalent of tweet out <laughs> something every, you know, hour, and it would also be, like, a subject line of the channel. Mm-hmm. So I talked to these teams, and I tried to find who the, like, owner or manager of the team were was, mm-hmm. and then I said, hey, I will offer you free Ventrilo. If you guys put us in your subject line and tweet us out in your bot, in your uh. bot, and um, so that was like the first thing, and I think that's the first way we got our first hundred users. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was kind of like all the best teams were using our service, mm-hmm. and it's just like you know watching jo- Michael Jordan play basketball. Like you want to use the same shoes he uses. So mm-hmm. all the other teams were like, "Wow, well this this team uses a um, typefrag, You know we should use Typefrag. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where it started. And then I kind of. Um, and then I had the idea that, um, you know, back then there was kind of this idea of shoutcasting, which was like um, talking over the matches, and you could like listen into the streams. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, they didn't really have advertisements. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I came up with the idea of like, why don't we do kind of like radio advertising on these sites? And so we started to um, sponsor them as well. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of those, those the combination of those two things were what led to like our initial kind of 100 to 500 to 1,000 users. And then at that point, it just was... You know, it took off on its own. Nice. Yes. Nice. So it sounds and like, it, go ahead. I was just going to say, and it, uh, just thinking back, because it's been a while, <laughs> uh, SEO is another big thing for us too. Um, we, you know, we were the first site to really kind of talk about, like, do content marketing on mm-hmm. our own site. And that way we ranked first for like Ventrilo hosting and Ventrilo host and all those type key, uh, keywords. So. Nice. It's it's content right.
0: marketing before the word content marketing got Yeah, taken. exactly. <laughs>
1: like, it was like we should just talk about this thing we're making because then people want to like read about it. So, awesome, awesome. Yeah. So,
0: you know, Ventrilla and TeamSpeak from my memory, um, if memory serves me right, it's been so long. Um, we didn't have to pay for those services when, you know, when we talked um, when I talked with my clan mates. So, how did you convince people to go from non-paid to like this paid version of, you know, communication?
1: So um, definitely, someone was paying because Ventrilo has always been a paid service. The one um, exception would be if you hosted it on your own ah. computer. So it's yeah. potentially one of maybe one of your teammates did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like if you're hosting it back in 2003 on your own computer on a sl- like a, a slow connection, it's not going to do that well. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty easy for us to convince computer game players to kind of pay us that. You know, we I think we charged something like two fifty to three dollars per slot at the time mm-hmm. um, to pay that fee per month to have something like at a Dallas data center for you know all of our Texas players and so on. Got it.
0: Okay, and you know obviously pricing is always a complicated issue, especially yeah. with something like this. So how did you decide to do it by you know month by month, and then you decide to price it by seat? Why? Why? What's the reason behind that?
1: So I think like the answer would just be that it was it came naturally for mm-hmm. me. Um, it seemed like um, you know like just like you'd pay for your telephone service or your cable television. It just mm-hmm. seemed like monthly was the right way to bill out these servers because mm-hmm. it was a service. It was like a communication tool. Um, just monthly seemed like the right period of time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's actually funny, because I think we were one of the first, I mean, I'm sure there were others, but doing this kind of subscription SaaS business back in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the reason we charged per slot was just because that was how, so we had to pay a licensing fee to Ventrilo. Mm-hmm. So for every slot we hosted, we had to pay them something like five cents or something. I forget the exact number. Mm-hmm. And since we had to pay them per slot, we made, it, we made it so that we'd pass that cost on to the customer so they oh. also pay <laughs> per slot. But we just charged, you know... Uh, Two thousand times more than yeah. charged us. So. Got it. Cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you know, it, and it's kind of been like a recurring theme on this show. Whenever I ask this question on you know first hundred users or whatever, it's yep. it's doing it's really doing the stuff that that doesn't scale. You know, quote unquote, Paul yeah. Graham again.
1: The stuff that I do right now with Uncur- Uncover definitely doesn't scale. Like I spoke to a guy for forty five minutes yesterday, mm-hmm. and his company was only six people. I mean, they ended up signing up, but for us, that's only thirty dollars a month. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like. You know, if he's with us for a full year, you know, that's three hundred and sixty dollars. But I oh, hope my mouth's right. Three hundred and sixty dollars. Yep. Um, but so that that would be worth it, I guess, in the end. But again, like I can't spend the time every day to pick up the phone and talk to someone for four or five minutes. But we're hoping that as we grow, you know, there will be other and better sales channels channels that will emerge. So
0: Right. The unfortunate thing about, you know, looking at all these tech sites, you look at TechCrunch, yeah. oh, so-and-so just got so much, you know, so much million in funding. It's like, okay, you know, let's just dump money into, like, paid acquisition. Let's try these mobile platforms, these shiny yeah. new things when it's really about doing the the small and scalable stuff and then trying to grow organically for yeah. the first little bit. But the thing is, like, you know, once you take on that, that VC funding, you are really pushed hard to, like, you know, go as fast as you can. And exactly. Pe- the investors, they don't really understand, a lot of them don't really understand organic growth. So that's what makes it like really tough. So that's why I'm I'm a bit a big advocate and a supporter of bootstrapping like yourself.
1: Yeah, I think also a lot of companies raise money too early. I mean, mm-hmm. I have nothing, there's nothing wrong inherently about raising money. It's mm-hmm. just when you should do it. Yep. And I prefer to raise money myself and I think others should too when they've already kind of figured out yep. what their product is and who their customer is and they've figured out some way to sell it. And then at that point, it's like, yeah, it'd certainly take $1.5 million and then just Use that to kind of stoke the fire, but yep. don't take the money before you figured out your product or you know who your customer is.
0: Right, totally agree with that. When it's time to grow, it's time to grow. Um, exactly. So you know, Typefrag is your first company. Um, what were some powerful lessons you learned or big struggles you faced while you were there?
1: Um, I mean, I think the biggest uh, biggest thing was just um, you know we hired three people while we were still in college, so we had three full time people, mm-hmm. um, and the biggest thing I think there is that we just didn't know how to manage these guys um and i learned a lot through kind of the failed management of them and the work that they were ultimately not able to produce and i think it was less about um their ability and more about like me not knowing like um that i shouldn't try to add every single feature and that i can think of or that i shouldn't just like try to build the best product and you know not release it until it's done and like all that stuff like there's a lot of stuff that I learned from that business that I was able to kind of carry on to my new things. Got it. Cool. Like the, the whole idea of, of I think we, we had something like a 14-month development cycle. Wow. It's high friday at one point. <laughs> um, and now I think that's almost unheard of. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was like a big thing that I've always carried on with me for my other startups.
0: Got it. Cool. Learn by doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we actually didn't get to cover this question for Uncover. So what are some big struggles you're facing right now?
1: Um, I mean I don't think we're facing any like huge struggles. I think the biggest thing is that because we are bootstrapped and, and you know obviously the biggest issue with bootstrapping is that you know because you can't pay anyone or you're choosing not to pay anyone because you haven't raised any money, um, you have fewer hours to work on the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so the people I work with are, are more part-time than full-time just because we don't have enough money coming in. Um, so I think our biggest struggle is really just to... Get make more money so that we can begin to work more full time on the product. So
0: got it. Cool. And the people you're working with, I mean, are you um, the part timers? Are you giving them like a bigger stake and a a bigger chunk of equity to get them, you know, motivated in it?
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm basically full time, Mm -hmm. um, and then we have four people that work as well on Uncover, and all four of them are part time. Mm -hmm. I'd say if you if you added up all their time, you'd probably have another one and a half people. Um, full time on it, but yeah, they're all incentivized through equity. So, mm. you know, that's really the only thing you can give away as a bootstrap company, because it's not like you can pay them. I mean, some of them are absolutely amazing engineers that you know make h- over well over a hundred thousand dollars at really high profile jobs. So mm. like, it's not it's not like I can pay them a thousand dollars a month to keep them full time. You know, right. <laughs> so
0: totally, yeah. Cool. So, um, to our audience members, I mean, how much would you recommend? Like, if they're bootstrapping a company, how much equity? um, Like, what range should they be giving away to people?
1: I mean, I think it all depends on um, your needs. Um, For example, we really needed another engineer to come on board, Um, and while I, you know, would would have preferred to give them one or two or three or four percent, it took more than that. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm always of the mindset that I would rather have like Give myself every option to succeed, and if it means having to give away ten percent equity to someone, like I have no problem with that, as long as it, like, gives me some, like, gives me a larger chance of being able to succeed. So, at the end of the day, like, equity is not worth anything if you know you never build your a business. So,
0: okay, totally agree with that.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: So let's talk about your second business, CarbonMade.
1: Sure. So CarbonMade is um. I think uh, it's it's a great company. You know, Um, I started working on them right after I sold Typefrag in two thousand, beginning of two thousand seven, or late two thousand six. How much did you sell Typefrag for? Uh, I sold it for a little over a million dollars. Okay, cool. Sorry to cut you off there. No, (laughs) Um, but yeah, so. Carmade is a great company. It started with two guys, one designer, one developer. Um, the two, they basically ran a small ad agency, um, and I would hired them to do some work right after I left TypeRig. And uh, the three of us got along really well together. And about three months into it, they asked if I wanted to join their company as a one-third partner and, and help run the um, business side of their ad agency. And uh, at the time, they had a small product called Carmade that they had kind of worked on on the side. Um, to basically help build um, one of the guy's portfolio sites, this guy Dave. So we all kind of like um, started working together. They started to kind of wrap up some of their contract work over the next six months to a year. And I started to kind of manage CardMade and manage the business side of the ad uh, agency while we um, while we kind of wrapped up all the client work. And then about a year into that, we started to work on Car- uh, CardMade full-time.
0: Got it. Cool. So CarbonMade, um, just to be clear, you said it's an ad agency?
1: No, sorry. sorry. Uh, so the, they had started an ad agency called Interface. Got it. And Dave and Jason, the two guys I worked with, they mm-hmm. had built Carbon Made as a very small side project, mm-hmm. um, on the, like, just kind of on the side, like between clients. Mm-hmm. And I joined their ad agency, Interface. It was the three of us as like one-third partners. Mm-hmm. And then about a year into that, um, we began to work on CarbonMade full-time. Okay. So Got kind it. of like as the revenue of Cardmade began to build up, mm-hmm. um, we were able to take fewer um, client jobs and be able to spend more of our time on Cardmade.
0: Got it. Cool. So same same question for the first two, the sure. first 100 users.
1: First 100 users so I think for us we were um, we were uh, we were a freemium product product, so mm-hmm. basically it was free wow. up to up to 35 users and then mm-hmm. it was oh sorry, up to 35 images and then if you wanted wow. more images on your online portfolio, you paid us twelve dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the first hundred users were a lot of them were Dave's kind of art friends and design friends, and a lot of them we actually comped and gave them free paid accounts. But mm-hmm. um, as we started to kind of grow, we again we were the, pretty much the first online portfolio, so we ranked number one for in Google for online portfolio and mm-hmm. free online portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of our users were organic. Mm-hmm. um and then kind of as we started to grow we started to do more advertising and marketing and more content marketing and that kind of thing but mm-hmm. the first 100 users were a lot of them were just like friends and friends of family stuff like that
0: got it cool and on the content marketing side of things you know back then um, were you hiring yeah. people to write the stuff or were you writing the stuff
1: we, um, we started by doing it all ourselves. I think it was about two to three years into it before we hired our first person. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually we did hire like a copywriter on retainer
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we, had another mar- um, we hired a marketing person as well. Okay. So the biggest thing that we did is that we had like a huge community of, of artists and designers. I think now it's over 700,000. Wow! And um, what we would do is we would feature kind of the best work and we would write you know, a paragraph or so around that work, mm-hmm. and then we'd post it on like Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr and mm-hmm. Google Plus and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that would just kind of help seed our community and mm-hmm. get people interested. And a lot of those people that get featured would share it with their friends, because they'd be like, oh look, you know, like Carbon Made featured us, mm-hmm. or featured me. And then all their friends tend to be artists and designers as well. Mm-hmm. So they'd be like, oh, that's really cool, like your portfolio looks awesome. And then they'd go and sign up for CarbonMade as well. So we would kind of use a leverage of our own community.
0: Wow. Okay. Cool. And um, so Carbon made right now, I mean, how are revenues? Did you sell the company? What's the status of it now?
1: So I sold my share, Uh which was a third of it. Um, I can't go into details of that legally right now, Um, but um, I did really well, so it's it's all good. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, the company's doing really well. They've never raised money. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when I left, um, we were 10 people, and I think there's still 10, Mm -hmm. Um, that was about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm but yeah they they recently moved the company from new york to chicago cuz that's kind of where both the, both of the other founders are from mm-hmm. but yeah they're doing really well and it's uh, you know it's a standard freemium um, model so with 700,000 users they're not all paid obviously mm-hmm. but um, you know a fair amount are <laughs> mm-hmm. so it it adds up pretty quickly
0: Got it. Okay, cool. So obviously, you know, a ton of the a ton of your growth for all three companies is fueled by organic. What percent would you say is organic? What percent would you say is like paid?
1: Um, for Cardmade, I'd say at least eighty percent was is organic, mm-hmm. um, if not higher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Google has always been really friendly for to Cardmade, uh, just because it it was one of the first companies in the online portfolio space, so it ranks high for all keywords like. Anything you can think of, really, like architecture portfolio, all that stuff. Um, so that's nice free signups. Um, also, just people share their portfolio because it's like their website. It's just like you share your Twitter address, you know. Mm-hmm. So we we get a lot of organic uh, growth from Facebook, where people post it on their links there or in their bio of type or, or sorry, the bio of Twitter. Um, you know, when I left about a year and a half ago, we were only doing. a we may be doing five to ten thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. in, in paid marketing. So we weren't doing that much, but we were seeing, you know, returns on that. It usually takes about three months to kind of tell whether the campaign works or not. But mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Great. So the majority was organic to answer your question. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I mean I am my background's in SEO, so I'm always a big yeah. fan of organic. Um so how about your um your Obviously, you know three companies. I want to know kind of your aha moments when you decided to go all in for, you know, Carbon Made, Typefrag, um, and also Uncover.
1: Um. So I think Typefrag was, you know, Typefrag was just like, this is a thing I want to build for myself and, you know, I hope it succeeds, but I wasn't even really think of it, thinking of it as a business. Mm-hmm. So when it did, it kind of like smacked me in the face. It was like, oh my god, you're making, you know, $10,000 a month within like the first you know, three four weeks. So it was it was crazy. So I think like there was no real aha moment except when like you'd open up your PayPal account or your credit card account and see you had like ten thousand dollars in there. Uh-huh. Um, so it's like ah. <laughs> <laughs> with with Car-made, I think it was it was slower. Um, you know when you have two other partners, um, you need to make three times the amount of money to uh, to be able to work on it full time. So I think for us it took a good solid two plus years before we were able to work on it full time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think, you know, once you kind of have enough money to pay your expenses, then again it's like another aha moment, it's like, okay, I've made it at this point. And you can kind of check your your revenue growth and see that, you know, next month I'll be at this point and the mm-hmm. following month I'll be at that point. Which is the great thing about SaaS businesses mm-hmm. because as long as you can kind of, as long as you have enough history mm-hmm. and you can kind of, you can start to project the future mm-hmm. and you can check, see what your churn rate is and see what your growth rate is and just mm-hmm. know like, okay, this is awesome. and 10 months I'm going to be double what I am today Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of plan accordingly and you can hire people maybe before you would have otherwise
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and then with Uncover I think we're still we still haven't reached our aha moment yet I think we're still um, you know we're still learning we're still building um, you know every new customer is like oh this is awesome and you know this is something I really love and those emails definitely help us continue to build it and grow mm-hmm. it but until I've you know I have a team of at least like three people working full-time on it. I don't think I'll yet have that aha moment, but yeah.
0: Got it. Cool. So for, I mean, you know, for Uncover, obviously you're bootstrapping them right now. I mean, when do you decide like, you know, it's time to pay yourself and how much, how much do you think founders should pay themselves?
1: Um, I mean, I think, so two questions, I guess that's two questions. Um, when do I think, uh, Sorry, when do I think I should pay myself?
0: Yeah, so I mean, obviously in yeah. something like this, you want to grow really quickly, right? So and right. When, when do you decide it's time to pay yourself and how much should it be?
1: Um, I mean, obviously you need to be conscious of, you know, your cash flow. That's like the number one most important thing. I think cash is king is mm-hmm. like obviously a big catchphrase. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's, it's fair to start paying yourself something, even if it's $500 or $1,000 a month, mm-hmm. as soon as you feel comfortable doing that. Um, I don't think you need to kind of hoard your cash for mm-hmm. if you're bootstrapping, especially if you have a SaaS business because you mm-hmm. can kind of again project kind of where you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm still kind of, I'm still living off card made and I'm not too worried about my own salary so I'd mm-hmm. probably sooner use that money to hire someone else mm-hmm. um, but I definitely understand the need to pay yourself as a founder if you don't have something, you know, and saved up, you don't have money saved up. so.
2: Got
0: it quickly. Quick. Yeah. So, I mean, I think about some founders sometimes when things start to really take off and then they start to take a lot of money off the table and they start to buy nice things for themselves and get right. really flashy. So, I'm just trying to, wonder, <laughs> uh, trying to trying to get an idea of what the threshold should be. But, um, yeah, it sounds I mean, like th- as low as possible or whatever is like reasonable yeah, like average. Yeah, as low as
1: possible for sure. I mean, the goal should be to build a sustainable business for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years or forever. Mm-hmm. So, if you start to make Irrational decisions and take out all the money out of the bank. You know, mm-hmm. obviously that's not smart, and you shouldn't do that because it's detrimental to your business. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd rather I would sooner pay someone before paying myself. Obviously, so mm-hmm. I'd rather have you know an employee that was you know, being paid well and, and working hard than you know and and myself just living off of ramen. You know.
0: Right. Cool. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Treehouse because we both have a sure. little history there. <laughs> So Treehouse, I mean, you know, you started learning coding there. Um, why did you decide, you know, you, you, had a, you have a business background. Why did you decide to go into coding?
1: I think I wanted to be closer to the product. Oh. Um, while at TechFrag, I ran product and everything there. At Cardmade, um, we had a fabulous product guy, this guy Dave, and he mm-hmm. kind of ran all product stuff, and I was really... Um, while I was in those meetings, I wasn't kind of didn't have final say or any of that. Mm-hmm. And I was more doing business sort of stuff, the CEO stuff. So mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to get back to that. And right after leaving Parmade, I felt as if the biggest thing holding me back was that I wasn't close enough to the product, mm-hmm. which is either designing or developing. Developing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while I love designing, I felt like more of a need to want to be able to build something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just jumped into code, and then I spent pretty much all of two thousand twelve learning to program mm-hmm. and building the first version of Uncover. So I still code now, um, but not as much as I did back then because I have some people on the team that are full time devs now. So
0: got it, cool. And so you started with um, Treehouse. I mean, what other services did you use to kind of learn?
1: Yeah, so I started with a bunch of different ones. I, um, you know, my favorites are Code School. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just, you know, they're fabulous for Ruby, Ruby on Rails, um, JavaScript stuff. Yep. And Treehouse is great too. But I think like the best tutorial on the web for learning Ruby on Rails is simply the Ruby on Rails tutorial. And if you Google that phrase, you'll get this tutorial by Michael Hartle and it's unbelievably fabulous. It's the first time that I like really got it. Mm-hmm. by going through his, his um, tutorial. And what, what makes his tutorial different than all the others is that he actually has you build an application from start to finish, and just as if you were an actual developer. So you actually you use Git, you um, use Heroku to web to host it, you know, you do the entire process, and at the end you have a Twitter client that you've built. Wow. Or t- like a Twitter business. So it's really cool. And you can start to use that to... So I, what I did is I went through that, um, probably in the third or fourth week of mm. learning the program, mm. and immediately opened up a new project and began to build the first version of Uncover. So, because he teaches you like authentication and, and user creation, all that stuff, and I was able to kind of like use the code samples and stuff from his tutorial to start building the first version. Got
0: it. Okay. And so you're saying it took you three to four weeks to actually start getting it after going through yeah. this tutorial.
1: Yeah. And that's full time. That's like nine to. No, that's like. Yeah, that's like so the first two weeks, I was 9 to 5 or 9 to 9 or whatever, uh-huh. uh, learning the syntax. Uh-huh. So that was like Ruby syntax, Ruby on Rails syntax, and then around week three is when I started to work on his tutorial. Uh-huh. And with I did his tutorial within a week probably, uh-huh. and just at the end of that I started to um, work on my own thing.
2: Okay,
0: and learning the syntax, is that through his or is that just like searching around?
1: That was mainly through, um, I think there's like a simple Ruby... Um, I'll like email to you, okay. <laughs> you can put it in the show notes. But yeah. um, there's an awesome Ruby like easy thing where you just do a bunch of syntax stuff. Is it
0: like a cheat sheet or something?
1: It's not exactly a cheat sheet but it's just like basic, it just takes you through all the syntax and you okay. kind of like build little console programs and stuff.
0: Got it. So, f- to the audience, I mean, nine to nine, twelve hours a day. Um, takes three to four weeks to actually start getting it. So, I mean, for everyone, anyone that like <laughs> wants to try something new, I think it's definitely worth it to at least you know be integrated
1: into the product somehow, right? Yeah, it's great, and I think you know I, I love design, and I do a lot of like wireframing, and um, you know I do a lot of product management stuff, but um, programming is awesome because you get to see the thing work, and it unlike design which is subjective, like mm-hmm. it either works or doesn't work mm-hmm. in programming and it's nice to like when it finally works just be like oh that's awesome, you know? Yeah. Um, so you get a really huge rush when you finally get your code working. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, it's like finding a nice piece of loot in like a game. But, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I mean, you know, does it also help you in terms of like hiring technical people? Like do you sit in on... Yeah. It, it does, right?
1: Yeah, totally. I actually wrote an article for this for Treehouse um, I've been like consulting for them for the last four or five months. Mm-hmm. Um, pr- probably written like twenty articles for them, mm-hmm. but uh, I wrote one. It's called like How Learning to Code Got Me My Co Founder,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's a t- it's totally a true story. This guy um, I know this guy Michael Potter, who's co founder of Uncover. Mm-hmm. He's this amazing developer, but great product guy, everything mm-hmm. and. Um, he saw me learning to code and he basically, he began to kind of mentor me a little bit over this first six months and he saw that I was building this thing on cover and he was really interested in it and we'd grab coffee all the time and uh, eventually, he you know, I was able to kind of convince him to start working on cover and he told me that the reason that he decided to join was because he saw that I, was, I had the kind of the fortitude and the perseverance to build the first version and learn to code because it was so like important to me and it was, I was so passionate about it. And he said he wouldn't have joined otherwise. Wow. Okay. There you go. How to find a
0: technical (laughs) co-founder. Go learn how to code.
1: Yeah, it's true though. I mean, I think, you know, I always tell people, they're like, oh, like how do I find a a technical co-founder? I always tell them, you know, do as much of the work as you can do to -hmm. to where you can't do anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of at that point with the product, um, with Uncover. Like I coded it to the best of my abilities, and it wasn't great, but it worked. Mm-hmm. And At that point, I had something physical to show him. I had something I could walk him through. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if that's not code, like maybe that's wireframes, or maybe that's sketches, or whatever. But just you need to be able to present the entire picture to, to, to a developer for them to mm-hmm. kind of get it, and for you to be able to understand it, and for them to know that you're not just another idea guy.
0: Right. And how long did it take you to actually code um, you know, the first prototype?
1: Uh, it took me about three months, okay. and then um, what you see today is not the same. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's similar, but it's different. So I won't go into the whole story, but basically, what you see today at Uncover dot com is about one fourth of what the other product was that I began working on. Mm-hmm. And so that so I worked on that for about three months, and then we did another redesign, and uh, I did I sorry I did another redesign and a new. And I coded it again from the ground up because mm-hmm. now I had four months of programming under my belt, mm-hmm. and then I did another three to four months, um, and then that was basically October, uh, 2012, mm-hmm. and then he joined in November. So then we started again from scratch. <laughs> so, wow. Well, I mean, yeah. I,
0: I mean, the first, the most important thing is getting that prototype out there.
1: Right. Exactly. Um, so cool.
0: So, um, you know, obviously, with your three companies um, hiring talent, I mean, you've grown, you, you've grown to learn to manage people and all that. Um, you know, today, like, what's, what's like your, your criteria for hiring people? Like, what do you look for the most?
1: Um, I mean, the biggest thing I look for in a small team under 10, you know, I've never had a team over, I think the highest card made got when I was there was like 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. So, um, but for the first 10 employees, I always feel like you need to be able to, they need to be passionate about what you're working on. Mm-hmm. They need to be obviously be talented, but you need to be able to kind of like, you need to spend a lot of time with them and not be annoyed. You know, like these need to be people that you get along with. Yeah. um, You know, that are willing to put in the hours. um, Under that, understand that you haven't made it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think there's a lot of different criteria that go into it. Um, You know, you're not. You tend not to be looking for just someone who can purely do a task. Mm -hmm. You need someone that can do a, a variety of tasks and are willing to like jump in on customer support if if needed, even if they're a developer or like, you know, come into like. Uh, a design meeting because you know you need their feedback or do QA or something. So you need some like more generalist, I think, for the first ten ten employees.
0: Yep, totally agree with that. Someone more it sounds like almost like more people that have kind of an entrepreneurial flair.
1: Yeah, totally. I think there hasn't been a person I've worked with that didn't want to be an entrepreneur or mm-hmm. had ideas in the back of their head. And actually, some left uh, t- uh, some left Cardmade to go start their own businesses, and we mm-hmm. fully supported that, and yeah. we helped them. Um, so yeah, I think you definitely need entrepreneurial people because number one, you can't pay them a lot, so yeah. they need to, you know, value equity, but also value the learning mm-hmm. of an early age, early startup, and kind of like because they, you know, two years later they might be starting their own thing. So
0: mm-hmm. cool, great, and that's exactly what I look for too. Are they entrepreneurial? Do I like them? All that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, so wrapping it up here, two more questions. Um, you know, Obviously, you've gone through, I mean, again, you have an extensive experience, you started when you were a teen. Um, I'm sure you have some productivity hacks that you can share, so anything you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Um, so I think, sure. I actually have something kind of new that I've been okay. doing for about a month or a month and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with Harvest? Harvest, yes. So I actually work out of their office and I've been friends for, uh, with Danny and Sean, the founders, for a long time. And actually, the first car made office, we subletted from them about six years ago. Nice. But I never actually used the product uh-huh. until about um, a month and a half ago. And something that I've started to do is actually track my time. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, you know, silly, like, you know, why would you track your time as like an entrepreneur working on your own project? Mm-hmm. But I found it to be really useful, because when I turn on the timer, I'm like dead focused on that task at hand. And then when I turn it off, I can almost like breathe again, mm-hmm. and it, it forces me to not go and check. Like Reddit or check like Hacker News or something or whatever, <laughs> while that timer's on. So that's yeah. something that I've been doing recently for the last month and a half, and it's been really effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have like so I have an uncover project, and then I have a bunch of different categories like product or sales mm-hmm. or business development or customer service, and I also mm-hmm. um, so I'll, I'll turn that specific task on mm-hmm. so that I know like okay right now I'm doing product stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like a little thing that's worked for me, and it's actually interesting to see how few, how many how few hours you're actually working in like an intense mode per day. So I think like the maximum I can get to is like four or five.
0: Wow, you know that's actually yeah. really good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's fine, but like I'll be at the office from whatever nine to five or nine to six, yeah. but you know like with lunch and like the commute and just like going and grab a coffee and like puttering around the web, like, all that, like, I'm really only ever focused for, like, a four-hour period, and it's interesting to see it in Harvest, so, that's something that I've been working on recently, and it's really been effective.
0: Huh, you should write a blog post on that. Yeah,
1: (laughs) Harvest would like that. Yeah, no, I, that sounds really
0: interesting, I think I'm going to try that out, because I have that issue.
1: They have an awesome Mac app, Uh so it's just, like, you press it on and off at the top bar, Uh and then they have an iPhone app, so... Got it. Yeah, it's been cool.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. cheap, so I've been using a uh, nag, and that just hasn't been working. It's like a little alarm clock. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've been trying to do sprints with that, but I, I fail a lot.
1: Um, yeah, this is this is more like yeah, this is more like my sprint tool. Like if I'm just like checking random, uncovered email or something, I'm not gonna like turn a timer on. This is more like okay, I'm focused on a specific task. Mm-hmm.
0: Got it. Cool. That's really new, really really innovative. So I'll be <laughs> trying it out. Um, last question here. So. Must-read business
1: book. Oh, man. You know, you're going to hate me, but I don't really read that many business books.
0: <laughs> or la- latest book that you've read.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess the latest book I've read, it, um, I was plowing through the Game of Thrones series. Uh-huh. So I think I've read the first four now. Um, but they're each like a 1,000 to 1,200 pages long, so they take forever. Uh-huh. Um, but in terms of business books, like I have a shelf, I'm actually looking at it right now, and it's kind of staring me in the face of like, 20 or 30 unread business books, um, but, yeah, I think, so the best book of actually, one of the best uh, books I've read was actually on venture capital, mm-hmm. and it was Brad Fell's Venture Deals book, uh, and I read, I read that about three years ago, and uh, it was like, oh my god, I understand it all now. Yeah. So, like, if you're interested in VC stuff, I would d- totally read that book, and even if you're not, it's just really awesome, because he takes... Specific segments of the term sheet and the financing documents, and then explains them fully, mm-hmm. and then has like an entrepreneur, um, entrepreneur's take on it too. So it's just it's just a great book.
0: Cool, that's actually a really helpful suggestion because Brad Feld's going to be on the show like sometime soon, so I'm going to read I'm gonna that before t- I said that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I like the fictional take too because it sounds like you know fiction does help you like disconnect from all the stuff that you're doing every day. So I read a lot of Insta Paper articles.
1: Like I'm like pretty much addicted to like read later stuff and then i'll get in bed and i'll just like have my phone like this and i'll read like two or three articles before bed yeah but um yeah it's i don't know i can't really get myself to read 300 pages of it like a business book right now but (laughs) maybe maybe eventually
0: it's tough it's it's totally tough and like I try to commit like 30 minutes to it, but it, yeah, you know, sometimes it just kind of falls off. Um, yeah, but I have the whole the, instead of using Read it Later, I use Pocket. But then I just save yeah. everything and I end up not, not reading it. So yeah, <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, great. So yeah, that's um, I think that's all the questions I had. Um, Spencer, thanks so much cool. for doing this. Um, yeah, totally. Um, talk it was to great. you
2: soon. All right, see ya.